Today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast is brought to you by Legend Rings. Looking to create better team culture, more dedicated alumni, and reward your student-athletes with something they'll never forget? Visit LegendRings.com and stay tuned later in the show for a special offer that'll make this unforgettable team award more affordable than ever. And now, it's time for the show. That's right. It's time for today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast with your host, undrafted 1988 NBA rookie, and America's recruiting guru, Dan Tudor. Hey, Coach, you know we always love having experts join us on the podcast to give you the best information they can to help you with recruiting. And a lot of those experts, most of them actually, come from outside uh, the Tudor Collegiate Strategies organization. Well, today we're going to flip that around. I am bringing in our experts that work daily with coaches around the country to help them with recruiting to talk to you about what they've learned over this last year from the coaches they work with and also what you would want to be aware of heading into the next recruiting cycle. And you should listen to them because they do have daily conversations with college coaches. They're all over the country. They hear the latest information. A lot of you uh, have asked in the past, Dan, who else works with you besides uh, besides just you, are you doing all this on your own? No way possible that I could do everything that TCS is doing around the country with hundreds of different programs if it were just me. Uh, we have a team of incredibly gifted, incredibly experienced experts who work with coaches, as I just mentioned, to make them successful. And we're going to talk to them today, and I want to introduce them very quickly, and then we're just going to jump into the conversation because I think there's so many good nuggets of wisdom that they've learned that that would affect the way that you go about your job in this next recruiting cycle. Uh, Mandy Green is the first one I'll talk about. You, many of you are familiar with her. She's the creator of the Busy Coach Program. She's led webinars for us. Uh, she works with coaches with Tudor Collegiate Strategies around the Midwest, and uh, she is a valuable, valuable, trusted expert and asset, and we love having her, and she'll be talking, as well as Paul Nimitz-Carlson. He is uh, uh, one of our advisors and a former college coach based in the Northeast. Greg Carroll is a former athletic director who was actually a client at Tudor Collegiate Strategies, but then uh, um, became a uh, advisor with us when he retired as athletic director and uh, has been such a great resource for uh, for all the coaches, uh, again, up in the uh, the upper Northeast area. We have Dan Christensen, who is a former college coach, former sales professional, uh, leading our efforts around uh, the Atlantic and some of the Southeast region with, uh, with Tudor Collegiate Strategies. You're going to hear from him, as well as Brian Matthews, who handles uh, a lot of the Southeast, going over, uh, stretching over into Texas. And uh, again, former coach. So all these people are really good at what they do because they've been where you're at. They now get this inside information. They listen to athletes and what they're saying through the recruiting process. And they then help uh, our team and their clients move uh, the best way in that they can in recruiting and help them with their messaging and in the recruiting battles. And that's what we do here. So I'll shut up and let them talk about what they're hearing and what you should be doing as we head into this next recruiting year. 
what I really wanted everybody to comment on since we've been through the last year, academic year of some pretty unique recruiting and some fairly stressful times for coaches is what you're seeing in your conversations with college coaches that we deal with here at Tutor Collegiate Strategies. And I just want to kind of go quickly around the horn with some big themes that, that you've come away with in your daily interactions with the coaches that, that you're working with and sort of get a, a feel for what, what seems to be on the mind of coaches as they end this year and get ready then for the upcoming 2021-2022 uh, season. And uh, Mandy Green, I'll start with you just with, uh, with what you're seeing. Yeah, no, I spent this last week with a Division Three athletic department uh, meeting with all the head coaches. And one thing that consistently came out with a lot of them is they had the recruits' attention because they weren't hearing from Division One coaches at all. And now that it's gotten to be where the, you know, the, the restrictions lifted, Division Ones can come out. Uh, previous year, they were getting commitments left and right from their top level kids. Uh, this year, they had their attention, but now they're being told that they, you know, we want to wait. We don't want to make a decision just yet because we want to see, you know, if we can go to these tournaments and get seen by, you know, some right. of these other Division One programs. So I'm, I'm, I'm hearing that a lot from from a lot of the, the Division Three schools that I've been talking with. Right. Interesting. Um, Greg, uh, why don't you chime in too yeah. as, uh, uh, as well? Um, just sure. to yeah, what you're hearing about, and, and even as a former athletic director at the college level, what you're hearing from athletic directors in the programs that, that you work with. Um, well, for, on, on that note, from an, from an athletic director perspective, um, you know, having been a Division three and a lot of, I'm, I'm here in the Northeast, so we have a plethora of Division three schools. So again, a lot of attention, a lot of concern about those those rosters, those programs that are um, have room for expansion, uh, and, and and how they can contribute to institutional sustainability. Uh, so working with with a lot of coaches on you know identification and creative ways of of building their their databases and getting more recruits in their pipeline, uh, that's been a big conversation, and, and we're doing a lot of work in that area uh, with some some of those kinds of programs that are in that that. Um, demographic of division three uh in terms of coaching conversations you know maybe it's a byproduct of the time <laughs> that the kids have been at home over the past year and the time that mom and dad have been able to be a little bit more engaged uh in the recruiting process since we're all kind of um living in a bubble um but it seems as though uh, a lot of concern not concern but uh, attention being given to the role that mom and dad are in, in the recruiting process and and that points up to everything that we've been talking about for a long time now uh, in terms of the immediacy of getting the, the parents uh, involved in that process right from the beginning. I think the parents having had time this past year to be actively engaged, uh, you know, because they could maybe more so um, moving that that forward. I think that's going to be an expectation that a lot of coaches will have to get ready for and be prepared for even into next year. Yeah. Uh, Brian Matthews, what are you seeing and hearing from uh, schools that uh, that you're having contact with, especially in the southeast? Um, what uh, what has this year sort of as a theme uh, stuck out in your mind? Yeah, I think a lot of coaches obviously saw it as challenging, but I think it's enjoyable too. It almost has a professional development aspect. Mm -hmm. um, not only do they have to learn 
new ways and different ways to communicate with their recruiting, but it's almost like sharpening the tools they have and seeing if they need to fill their box with any other tools. Um, you know, they may be able to still use some of the things that they've been using in the past, but then run out of things to talk about and need something more. Um, so it might be developing that material or just evaluating what works better nowadays compared to maybe you did 10 years ago if they've been at that job for a long time. Um, so it's been, you know, exciting for them because they can kind of reevaluate some things, maybe add some things to the repertoire. Um, and really just make sure that their material is branding themselves the best way possible and separating themselves from any opponents. And you can kind of see a lot of them, you know, enjoy it because uh, they feel like, you know, they're making themselves better um, mm -hmm. going through this process and doing it, um, you know, throughout the whole year and getting ready for that next big date or that next big recruiting event. Right. Paul, um, just the, you know, the challenge of coaching during the last year and the challenge of recruiting um, in addition to talking to a lot of coaches, you're married to a coach. And so I'm just wondering what has the last year been from your perspective, uh, seeing coaches try to maneuver through some challenging times. And like Brian just brought, brought up, you know, there are, they've learned new skill sets. I think there was an edge of, or a level of excitement or, um, energy to this last year because they had to be a little more energized and connected. But what have you seen from, from your perspective? And again, being in the, in the same house with, uh, with a coach. Yeah. So living in the same house as a coach, I, I mean, I think is a unique challenge, right? I, I think one of the things that's been really interesting about this past year and, and all the conversations and even being part of it is everybody's experience has been a little bit different. Mm -hmm. um, and coming out of it, the, in a lot of these conversations, there's kind of projecting your own personal experience on both your recruits or even on sort of other other situations um, in terms of as they look at recruiting, whether it's what is fair to let, um, you know, for timelines for recruits coming back, what is fair for letting people be exposed to college coaches and be evaluated. Um, there's been sort of a real nervousness about sort of the evaluation piece and the unknown for coaches. Um, you know, we, we don't really know these athletes as well as we've ever, as we've known them in the past. Um, so there's almost a little bit of anxiety if the coach is feeling unprepared for this moment. Um, as I know it's division one, the end of division one dead period, but because of the top down nature, all of the, all of the levels are going to be affected in terms of an increased exposure and increased opportunity um, to be able to get out and see and, and even expectation that from recruits in terms of what they're expecting from coaches. So because everybody's situation has been different, it's been really interesting to navigate those unique experiences and, and really understand how kind of it's globally affected uh, recruiting, but also individual programs. Everybody um, has a unique a unique experience. And so they all have kind of unique problems and a lot of those that, that, that didn't exist before. Um, and I'm not sure, this is my living in the same house as a coach, the ability to compete last year or the inability to compete, it depends on the day of which, which one that is better. Um, but I think there's some real excitement about that, the return to normal and sort of the, seems like it's going to be reg regular in terms of going forward, but also kind of concerned that what have we lost in the last year and, and what do I have to do differently um, over the next couple months? Yeah. Yeah. Dan Christensen, your, your takeaways from this, this last year working with a lot of coaches. 
Yeah, I'd say one area that I feel like a lot of the coaches that you know, I've been working with have grown a lot, and a lot of the questions that they've been asking is actually about how to ask you know better and more direct questions throughout the process. And so, you know, even this time right now, a lot of coaches that are maybe trying to wrap up a class, uh, but they have that recruit that's still out there, and they've kind of set the deadline, and they, but there's still some time in between, and they're trying to figure out uh, how do we get them to the point where they can make that decision and it always, you know, comes down to like, ask, you know, be more direct with how you're asking questions and what they want to see happen next. And what are the things that are holding them back? Um, but then on the flip side, a lot of the coaches that I'm talking to now, looking at this 23 class coming up, or for some that are working on the 22 class, how do we get them to, to you know, visit us and commit to coming to visit? And how do we, you know, figure out what timeline is going to work? I think just being able to ask questions about you know, what are, what's going to be part of their decision process in terms of what schools are they going to visit? You know, what's going to get you to the point where you feel like, all right, I'm going to take my visit to, to this school. Um, you know, instead of just trying to hammer home, Hey, you need to come visit. Let's ask them what's going to, what's their decision process for that. And just being direct and, and clear with the questions you're asking to get the feedback that you want. And I think some coaches try to tiptoe around it uh, for whatever reason, but I think being confident and clear with how you, ask questions to get the feedback that you need. And so that's the one thing that I feel like a lot of coaches have brought to me, but that have they've grown to and seen the results of it and getting those answers. No, and I think um, you're mentioning that, and it kind of goes to the next thing I wanted to talk about, which is one of the things I've noticed is that with this past year, it seems like coaches gave themselves permission or maybe the circumstances they felt, you know, necessitated it, but they, they gave permi permission of themselves to do things like some of you brought up, which is, you know, set aggressive timelines, ask, learn how to talk, you know, uh, more clearly with a recruit. And before the pandemic, uh, you go back to, you know, 2019, 2020 in that class, it seems like Everybody was just sort of plodding along, same schedule, same routine, and it had been going that way for years and years and years, and this disrupted everything, sort of like kicking an anthill. Um, they have to rebuild that anthill, and this is the, what I've seen coaches do. Hey, Coach, it's Dan. Just wanted to jump in here real quick and ask you, are you looking back on this last year and thinking, ah, I wish we could have done something special for this team or for this group of seniors or for a couple of kids that really stood out and, uh, and earned some individual honors with our team. Wish we would have done more. Well, you know what? First of all, there's still time. You still can. But for the next class, I don't want you to feel like that. And if you don't want to feel like that, jump on over to legendrings.com. They're the sponsor of our College Recruiting Weekly podcast. And they are fantastic. They give amazing-looking athletic rings to coaches, to programs, to give to their athletes. Rings that if you go to their website and look, you're going to think, I could never afford those things. They look like they're about $10,000 a piece. Well, spoiler alert, they aren't, Coach. They're fantastic-looking rings that you can have at a fraction of that price. College programs all around the country now are hopping onto this because they know that rings for an athlete means something that's the thing they'll keep forever they'll talk about forever they'll show people you want to build credibility and loyalty in your program especially among your alumni when they become alumni and they want to stay involved in the program give them this ring it's an, an investment in you the the type of program that you run and your future in that program so 
go to legendrings.com, mention Dan Tudor or the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. They're going to give you a special gift. But what I encourage you to do is just go and take a look and create a ring because you can do that online. You can create your own ring, your own look, and figure out what the cost is. You're going to be surprised, and I'll bet you that you're going to be very, very tempted to say, you know what, we can do this. This is going to fit into our budget, and this is a fantastic award that we can give to our team this year. A lot of coaches have already done it. We want you to do it as well. So legendrings.com. They're fantastic. Again, go and take a look. You'll be amazed. And uh, something that you can give to your program, to your student athletes, that is going to mean something to them for the rest of their life. Just wanted to jump in and say that. Coach, now let's get back to the conversation. one thing I've seen is that they seem to be asking earlier and being a little more aggressive in general with how they're pursuing a recruit. And that's just one thing I've noticed, but I'm just wondering, has anybody else <clears throat> excuse me, noticed something being done differently or better in, by, by coaches, maybe because of everything that went on? And Mandy, I see you nodding your head. So why don't you Well, start? yeah, I mean, with COVID restricting uh, or eliminating, you know, coaches' ability to get recruits to their campus, usually, you know, I mean, that was such a big thing that coaches pushed for pretty immediately in the recruiting process because, you know, the campus speaks for itself. Right. Well, they, without that option, now they had to use words, right? Or they had to right. dig up, you know, or just do a better job of visually painting the picture of, or explaining what, you know, everything that they were going to get as a part of their college experience. And I know I, we, I, uh, with all the coaches that I've been working with, over this last year, that certainly has been something they've appreciated and almost were relieved when, I mean, there were, there were clients, right? So they were getting, uh, we were helping craft their, their recruiting communication. And so mm -hmm. they appreciate, because they, they ran out of things to talk about, right? right. They didn't have the Especially minus the campus visit, like you just mentioned. Right. And, and, and so they had to get more creative, uh, but also do a better job verbally explaining what, you know, the, the, the coaching staff and the academics and the, the campus and the community and life, you know, all that, they, they had to do a better job of explaining it. So I, I saw more creativity come out of coaches uh, and just the, the, you know, some of the stuff they were posting on social media or some of the things that they were, you know, doing with their, uh, with their teams just to be able to really give them that inside look as to what it was going to be like. And, and having to come up with different ways to, to stand out and, uh, you know, sound and feel different than everybody else, uh, you know, again, verbally or through visual pictures, because uh, they couldn't, you know, get them to campus and, and show them in person. So I, I saw that uh, was, was a lot different throughout this year. I agree with Mandy. Um, there was the same amount of time, but you had to do it in different ways. And it just made coaches always have to stay on or ready. Um, and there was a lot of creativity, but then they also had to prioritize, you know, from a production standpoint, you know, what's working the best out of all this new creative stuff. Um, so it was really just, I guess, the same effort of recruiting, but 
just prioritizing it in a different way and making sure that you're always ready because it's throwing coaches into new scenarios of recruitment, right? It's not the campus visit face-to-face. It might be a a Zoom call in an hour or um, something through social media. So it was just, you know, it was like, again, like I said earlier, it was challenging and they had to get ready for it, but I think they enjoy it now. It's almost like a test and making sure that, you know, they're ready to do it. Right. One of the things that I, I've been talking to my, my coaches about in terms of going, you know, somewhat back to normal, hopefully here in, in the year to come is that I think the expectation is that since we proved this past year that we can do all many of the same things uh, virtually that we can do in person, uh, the, the days of the, the, the uh, parents uh, going on six, eight, nine, college visits, I think is going to be going by the wayside Hmm. and they're going to be using these virtual experiences to parse that list down uh, to get to that short list because of economics and and, and convenience and all that kind of stuff. So, so we still need to be honing in on those virtual recruiting skills. We can't really put them on the shelf. And I like what Mandy said about the whole social media thing uh, being that opportunity to really take, uh, we know when we do workshops on, on campuses, I know we talk about the role of the different platforms and social media kind of sitting on a shelf off to the left or the right. But that's in a very important place and in and, and a significant role. And as Brian said, a, a very good opportunity to take them inside your program. And I think a lot of programs kind of give, don't give their it's fair shake. Yeah. Paul, what, what do you think? I, you know, I think this year, one of the things that I found that's really interesting is as we talk about sort of how you reevaluate everything um, without results or a different emphasis on your results, that they really were able to emerge some different winners. Like you could tell a different story that wasn't kind of hindered by your results. Um, and then saw coaches who were ready to move faster and, and be more comfortable with faster, right. win, win some recruiting battles that they may not have had they been sort of directly head to head with, with the results of their program, you know, sort of where they were in their development process. Um, so just the idea to sort of that you don't always have to do it the traditional way where the visit isn't always that important. And there's some different things that, that you can stand out, but it, it was very interesting just to watch no results or different results this year uh, kind of affect recruiting um, and allow different people to emerge as successful. Yeah, Dan Christensen. Yeah, and I think one of the one of the conversations that I'm having with a lot of coaches now is like, what did we what did we learn? And I think you know, Greg mentioned how we could do a lot of these things virtually. What do we still do virtually, or do we just go back to normal, do things the way that we used to do them? And I think there are a lot of advantages to using some of these these resources. And I know Dan, you've always mentioned to coaches, you know, using pulling out your phone and getting on Facetime with a recruit and walking around campus if it's a recruit that maybe lives far away or they're still on the fence about whether or not they want to come to campus or, you know, it's someone that maybe isn't necessarily totally sold on, on you guys yet. Give them a piece of something, a piece of campus, a piece of, you know, getting some of your athletes to come with you on a walk. And, uh, you know, even if you're, you know, in the middle of, you know, doing something, taking some time to uh, say, Hey, we're hey, on campus here and wanted to check, check in with you and um, talk with you about some things and giving them a little, you know, almost sneak peek that's going to get them curious and wanting more and, feeling like, all right, you know, I think I should make that trip out to campus and I think we can do it. Um, or even, you know, even with your, with your campus visits, I've had a lot of coaches saying, Hey, you know, we're going to cut things out of our normal campus visit and do some of those things virtually ahead of time. So that when we get, they get on campus, they can do what they really want to do, which is spend time with the team right. and spend time with the coaches. And so I think that's one of the takeaways that we've gotten from this 
pandemic is there are a lot of things that we can do more efficiently you know, with with zoom calls and things like that that'll help make the in-person stuff even more effective yeah no no question i think it's going to change the coach's comfort level with video now has has skyrocketed and i think they're inventing new ways to um to figure out how to replace some of the more time-consuming aspects of their job with uh, uh, with video and some of the other tech that's available. Um, two more topics I wanted to talk to all of you about, and maybe I'll start with you uh, with this question, which is mistakes, because along with coaches learning how to do things right and all the positives that came out of it, there were a lot of coaches that we saw made mistakes, and you know, hopefully we were able to help prevent future mistakes, but a lot of times we start talking to coaches because of mistakes they've made in the past with recruiting, and they now want help to reformat that. So I'm just wondering from everybody, um, what mistakes did you hear about or see getting made that coaches were, were identifying or sort of owning up to that they don't want to do in the future? Because I think every coach out there wants to learn from, from just like we do as athletes, we want to learn from our mistakes. We don't want to repeat things. We want to figure out how to get better. And I think coaches do that in recruiting a lot as well. So I'm just wondering what were some of the common or the big mistakes that you saw happening that they seem to be focused on trying not to repeat now going into a new recruiting season? Uh, I think probably the biggest one that I've been hearing a lot lately still is I, I didn't put a timeline on them. I just mm -hmm. gave them all the time in the world because I felt bad. You know, they hadn't had a chance to go out and visit other campuses. And so I felt like I should give them that time to go do it. And then, you know, they, they did a virtual campus visit with another coach, did a virtual visit with the team. And, you know, that coach checked off all the boxes and then asked, asked for the commitment and got it. And then, you know, the other coach was like, dang it, I missed out on another one. Right. And so, I, I mean, I've heard that a lot is, you know, they, they waited too long to ask or they didn't ask at all because they felt bad. They thought that they, they needed to give them more time. Um, so that, that was a thing. I mean, I mean, to go off of what uh, Dan and Greg were saying with the virtual stuff is, uh, some saying they didn't do it enough, you know, and, and the, the coaches that I heard use the, the Zoom calls more, even though they got, you know, a little Zoomed out after a while, is, uh, is, is they just, they saw how much faster recruiting went with, because they were able to build the no like, and trust factor getting face to face with not only the recruit, but their families. Um, and so coaches that missed out on some of these recruits, I am hearing, oh, I wish I would have used Zoom a little bit more, um, or even just some who, you know, to go off of, I think what Paul had said was kind of just kept doing the same thing, checking in, hey, how's it going, you know, and not really having much, much content to talk about, not asking engaging questions like Dan Christensen mentioned, uh, just kind of sticking to their old way of doing things instead of, you know, adjusting and adapting to the, the circumstances. Um, I mean, those, there, I mean, I probably could talk for another 30 minutes about different mistakes that I'm hearing coaches talk about now as they're reevaluating last year's recruiting class, but those, those seem to be the, the big ones that are sticking out to me. Hmm. Anyone else have you seen or heard mistakes uh, being made, Paul? One of the ones that I, that I think is always so interesting just from a recruiting perspective is coaches trying to be quote unquote fair to their student at the recruits. And 
and think of and try to determine what is fair and then totally forgetting what is fair to them as coaches. So they give away all of the power in the process and all of the, all of the power in the dyna- recruiting dynamic. And so now they're waiting on prospects. They're, they're waiting for prospects to get back to them. They just sort of refresh their phone, refresh their email over and over again. I think it's, it's been interesting just to see coaches talk about, I'm trying to be fair when the reality is fair to the coaches is what you can do to influence the prospect and get them on your timeline and get them to be in in your process the way it's intended and that to be seen as the best way to do it. Right. Right. Great. Um, You know, again, on the topic of mistakes and then maybe Dan, you can follow up uh, mistakes that you've seen over the last year, coaches, coaches make and, and uh, what, what some of the negative results were. Um, Well, like two real quick ones. One, yeah. uh, build on what Mandy said, it, and they're both things we talk about when we when we are on campuses doing workshops. Uh, one is that that fear of asking for the commitment, and I think some of that fear comes from not really knowing how to do it, not being comfortable doing it. And and we talk about that in the workshops and, and kind of build them, test them, quiz them, and shape them so that they're comfortable. So so what they whether they do, they don't ask for the commitment. Until and that until it's too late. So that's that's one mistake. And the other one that's, is another thing we work on in, in workshops in terms of roster construction, and 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 in building your your bucket list of how you place recruits and prioritize recruits. And I think one mistake that I've seen a lot of coaches make over the past year or so is is that they'll they'll put in that A bucket that kid that's the the all world kid that everybody is recruiting. Um, and, and at the, the expense of losing maybe time and effort being put into the recruit that they're more likely to get. Um, uh, so, you know, sometimes I think they'll make that recruit that, um, is more likely that they're going to be able to, to get and build and shape over a period of four years. That's really going to contribute to the roster in a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. Uh, they put that person in the B bucket, uh, when that should probably be the one that they're going after first. Uh, get get that kid and you know secured, and then go back up and try to get that that you know all world athlete that's probably still there because he's got so many he or she's got so many choices. We'll be back to the show in just a minute, but first, a quick question: What makes a college coach a more intelligent recruiter? Well, it starts with using technology that actually gives you insights and trends when it comes to the recruits you're communicating with. That's the mission of Advanced Recruiting Intelligence. RE gives college coaches the ability to track, rank, and communicate with recruits like no other app available to coaches. And the best part? It costs 20 to 40% less than what most departments are paying for their older recruiting contact management programs. For a free demo, and to see why so many coaches are saving money and using better technology to boost their recruiting results, visit ARIRecruiting.com. And now, back to the show. Um, so I think the way they prioritize the recruiting list is something that probably um, could, you know, many coaches should maybe consider and reevaluate. Yeah, interesting. No, and I think that is a that, that's a good observation about a, a fairly common mistake that that we did see. Uh, Dan Christensen, you wanted to jump in and, and add something. Yeah, no, I think one mistake that a lot of programs and coaches were making before the pandemic, even, but I think it was highlighted in the pandemic was. Uh, lack of intentional communication and relationship building with the parents of these recruits. And I saw, especially early on, you know, there was a lot of fear. There was a lot of, you know, athletes and families that were scared about 
you know, all kinds of things, whether it was health or just, you know, doing school online and all these kinds of things. And so the parents, I think, played a, you know, a heavy role in influencing like, all right, what are we going to do, you know, this fall? Um, and so you did, you know, coaches still needed to bring athletes to their, their programs and on their rosters. And so being able to explain to them why it would still be worth it and why they should want to be part of that program, be part of that school. Um, we found that the parents, you know, do play a big role, have a big influence on that decision and they form opinions of you, whether you talk to them or not. And so I think being able to communicate with mom and dad and the, those people that have an influence on that recruit's decision, um, it was something that a lot of coaches weren't doing well before. And then it really hit them you know, in the pandemic when these recruits are looking for that help. And so, you know, they weren't, they weren't getting the, the advice from people that knew about the coach and knew about the program, but we're getting it just based off of, you know, things that were out of control of the coaches. So I think that's something that really hit some coaches that were not doing it well hard. Yeah. Brian Matthews, what, uh, what have you been hearing or what are your observations? Yeah, the biggest mistake, kind of piggybacking off of Dan there, um, there were so many opportunities to communicate with outside influences that um, not only as a program did you have to be flexible and adaptable in different ways and methods of communication, but coaching staffs themselves, you know, the entire staff had to be, you know, more flexible or adaptable and be willing to pitch in recruiting wise in different ways that they may not have done before. And, you know, that might've been talking to other coaches or parents or the prospects themselves in different ways. But, you know, the ones that really weren't afraid to make mistakes and go outside their comfort zone, I think really benefited from doing so and, you know, taking the risk of doing something new. Yeah, no, I, all those are really good observations. And it's interesting because, uh, there again, so many of them are common. What we would hear year in and year out, except that they all had a little bit of a different twist in terms of that outcome and what uh, what happened over the last year. It seemed to take on a different level of importance or consequences if they were continuing to to continue to make those mistakes. I'm also wondering, and maybe this is how we kind of wrap up the conversation what some of your forecasts are for this coming year, because again, we're, we're going back to regular, at least that's as we sit here now, what we're, what we're seeing and what the NCAA is saying and what we see college coaches um, planning for and beginning to execute as, as contact periods open up. So taking all these mistakes, all the things they've learned and, and also factoring in, the different attitudes now that maybe student athletes carry into the process of recruiting as they begin to talk with the coaches, what, what, what are you forecasting? And, and maybe beyond that, what is the advice you're going to be giving coaches moving forward who would be talking to you and relying on you and us as an organization to, to recruit more effectively and communicate more effectively? Um, what, what are, what are some of your ideas or, uh, or thoughts? And Paul, maybe I'll start with you, uh, just to get, uh, to, to kick off that, that, that series of recommendations that, that you might be making to your, uh, to your clients as they move forward. Yeah, I probably have two. One, one being the sort of the idea around personalization. I, I think we have a lot of, um, name, image, and likeness conversations, right? But as we go through this, I think there's an expectation for recruits 
to have a personalization part of the process, whether it's a personalized graphic, whether it's a personalized experience, or whether it's a personal explanation of why your program is specifically great for them as compared to, to another one. I think that's, a, that's something that coaches are going to be asked to do more because I think it's going to be the expectation of the kids that they're recruiting. The other one that I think in terms of going forward is there's a lot of conversation about the transfer portal. A lot of it's driven by just the five big sports, um, mm -hmm. basketball, basketball, uh, football, ice hockey, and baseball that did not have sort of the automatic eligibility waiver. It's really important that coaches don't get sucked into that if it's not part of their, their game, right? There are a number of sports that have had this ability to transfer, a number of sports who it isn't going to change as much. There's there's going to be more conversation about transfer portal, but if it's not involved in your game, I think it's important to know that that's not the solution for every coach. Um, you have to really understand transfer portal as specific to your sport. Um, and and I, I, I've told a lot of coaches, the best way to sort of counter the transfer portal is to both kind of create a great experience in your program and make sure you're using the right technique to tell that, tell people about that great experience so that they're not just guessing and finding it, but you're actually telling them this is what we do and then fulfilling that promise. More intentional direction. Absolutely. No, that's, that's a great idea and a great follow up on that. What, um, yeah, what would you um, say? Building off what Paul just said, uh, one of the things that I'm talking to my coaches about, you know, every conversation I'm having with them is about, I think they're going to need to be more attentive to customer service with their 21 and 22s that are on campus. Because one of the things that we know is that they did not get the traditional opportunity to get to know you, to get to know your players. You know, they didn't get to hang out in the locker room. They didn't get to go and, you know, meet with you over lunch. So there's going to be this necessity to prove to them that there was truth in the advertising so that when they are on campus, so they don't go into the transfer portal, uh, that you need to be spending time with them. And the customer service end of it is not going to end for you simply because they're on your campus. Um, you've got to follow through of what you said was going to be the experience that they would have there. You have to be cognizant of making sure that they actually have that experience. Yeah, and that goes to the whole idea of, of continuing to recruit them. And I could see, especially on smaller campuses, they made the decision to come athletically to the school based on the sport, but they get there and, to your point, they didn't get a chance to spend time with the team. They didn't get to know the coach as well, or maybe they didn't get to spend time on campus. They get there and make the decision, well, I'll stick around and get my degree and go to school, but I don't want to play the sport anymore. So I think it's going to have some potentially the same negative effect for coaches if they aren't intentional about, you know, continuing to recruit and, and to both of your points going off of, um, going off of the, the idea that they have to justify, here's why you should invest the time and the money in our school. And uh, Dan Christensen, Brian Matthews, what, what would you add to that? Yeah, I think, you know, just going forward, it's, it comes down to, you know, having a, having a firm kind of plan that you are, you've established. And I think that's what we saw in March, April, May, June of 2020. A lot of the, a lot of coaches were panicking. The ones that were not were the ones that had a plan in place to get that message across of, Hey, here's why we're, why we're worth it, why you should be part of our program. And so I think that is, you know, hopefully we're not going to experience anything too traumatic this upcoming year, but you know, things happen. And so I think if you have a plan in place of how to, to sell the school and really explain to these recruits consistently, Hey, here's why you should choose us. Uh, if you have that plan and are able to execute it and not 
you know, recruit with intentionality and be strategic instead of, you know, reactive and random with your communication, um, you can overcome those challenges, whatever those may be, uh, you know, this upcoming year. Yeah. And just uh, before I get Brian's comments, just something you mentioned, it takes me back to the beginning of the pandemic. And there were a number of programs, you know, two months in where we heard the horror stories of coaches really just being paralyzed. They had no idea what to do. Everything had been disrupted. They didn't have a plan. I remember, and I'm sure all of you did too, talking to coaches that we get to work with that have a plan or even the coaches that, you know, apart from us just were organized and had a, a very much a game plan going forward. They were just executing their plan. They were continuing to talk to prospects and they, I think benefited from being organized and taking this strategic approach to recruiting where a lot of coaches that just didn't put a priority on recruiting really, really suffered this year. And, um, What's interesting is that you heard uh, as we got into the latter half of, of the 2020 year, you know, how the pandemic probably saved a lot of coaching careers because the, a, the athletic director couldn't fire them because they you know, it was so disruptive. How could you justify it? We're going to give them another year. And I think that's going to be interesting to see what the coaches are going to do with this extra year under their belt. Did, did they learn anything? Did they, um, are they going to be more organized and intentional in recruiting? Because recruiting has just taken on this increased importance around the country with, you know, at smaller schools, enrollments, you know, dipping and the importance of recruiting on the athletic and the admission side. And then with division one, it's always important. And I think it's now um, it, it, things have changed so much and athletes have, have changed the way they've made decisions uh, it'll be interesting to see how those coaches move forward. But uh, Brian, why don't you wrap up the, the ideas as far as what what you see moving forward and and some of the the forecasting that we've been talking about? Yeah, I think per sport, it's going to be very very unique uh, per program, even against you know your biggest rivals or your common competition. Um, there's so many factors now of methods of recruiting, uh, ways to communicate, um, who you're recruiting, whether it's, you know, waivers on your roster or transfer portal or out of high school, um, you know, coaches are hopefully reflecting and, you know, figuring out out of their evaluation, how they want to recruit the best way to their program. And that could differ, you know, vastly from other schools that are recruiting the same prospects. So it's probably as important as ever to identify your prospect or your process with the prospect and your timeline and try to make it work between the two of you. Um, Cause coaches are going to, want to put their best foot forward. They've been able to, you know, identify that now and it may be a lot different than, you know, someone else that they're competing with for a prospect. Okay. And that's where we'll end it. And then I'll edit in a, uh, a wrap up to it for the the podcast, but uh, guys, thanks. That was really good and good observations. And um, it kind of goes to my goal this year of continuing to sort of put your name and face out there so that people become more familiar with just who you are and they read different articles and things that you guys write. But I think the more there's a voice and a face to it um, and they hear that you're all really smart people is uh, is a good thing. So Thanks for spending a little extra time on, on the call. I, I think it went, uh, went really well. So, um, and I have another call now in two minutes or now one minute. Um, so if you can, again, give me um, your, 
you need kind of travel information. You need to uh, get me, and Brian will compensate you for the gas coming in um, uh, for the drive. But yeah, it probably would be a pointless flight. You probably would spend more time on a layover than actually just driving here. So um, we don't we won't put you through that. Um, but uh, look forward to it. And and if you need anything, just let me know separately, uh, email, text, and uh, we'll talk to you guys later. Good to see everybody. Thank you. Have a good weekend, everyone. All right. You too. Yeah, enjoy it.